You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Roundtable Podcast brought to you by the Pulse Podcasting Network and your host, Matt Bruning. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. Got another awesome episode for you guys today as me and Dennis Bennett, you can find him at Culture underscore Coach, will be talking about the NFC South. That's right. We did the NFC North on Thursday. Today is time to break down the NFC South. We'll continue going along in the same exact order we did on Thursday and give you guys all the great information that we can on the NFC South division. Before we get into that and I bring Dennis on here, I want to talk about a couple things changing with the podcast. But first, I want to announce our winners of the 500 level contest for rating and reviewing the podcast. Before I do that, even if you guys have time, please rate and review the podcast. We really appreciate it. Help us out. And then in return, you guys will get entered into the 500 level contest, which again will allow you guys a chance to win a some free swag, free t-shirts, sweatshirts from 500 level. Our first winner was at Texas Head Hunter 43. And we also had uh, one of the first loyal listeners of the podcast as well at Jonathan Weber 82. Congratulations to both of you guys. I've already reached out to both of you guys. Uh, and your orders have all been taken care of. Everything has been ordered. Hopefully, you guys, um, I'll be able to give you guys some shipping information and everything in the next coming days. You guys should get your shirts hopefully by Friday. But again, thank you guys so much for rating and reviewing the podcast. Congratulations to both of them for winning this uh for winning the award and again all they did was rate and review the podcast all you guys have to do is the same you have a chance to win some free swag love 500 level they give out some pretty cool stuff have a lot of uh, very cool nfl player stuff baseball basketball anything you can think of they've got it there they've got a lot of cool shirts again i've got awesome baker mayfield shirt from them um and i love it uh, continuing forward, uh, usually this is where you guys hear a little bit on Thrive uh, Fantasy. Uh, we're still partnering with them, uh, but I'm not going to play the plug anymore. If you guys do want to continue using that app, go ahead, use it. Um, you know, they're, they're a good fantasy app. We're moving on with uh, some new sponsors on the podcast. 
Cannot wait to talk about them and get them on here. That will be coming in the next couple days. Um, Adam, who runs the Pulse Podcasting Network, is in the middle of discussions with them right now. Once the contracts are signed and everything is put through, we will have them on here. And I'm really excited about both of those new companies that will be sponsoring the podcast here. And again, we'll, we'll continue talking about those as soon as that becomes official. Can't quite announce it just yet, uh, but once it becomes official, I will. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, last but not least, a couple big news topics dropped today um, that I will obviously talk to Dennis with about as well going forward. Um, once I get him on here, but wanted to give you guys my thoughts real quick. Uh, the big one, obviously, Kareem Hunt. He is signed with the Cleveland Browns. He is now going to be with them for at least a year. The contract is one year at $1 million. Uh, you know, for me, I've been looking at it. was kind of uh, concerned about it at first, being a Nick Chubb owner and a Cleveland Browns fan. Um, I do think that it's not quite as big a deal as everybody's making it out to be. I think that Nick Chubb is still going to be the starter in Cleveland and going to be the guy going forward. Um, I do think that this is something where Kareem Hunt is likely going to be suspended for at least 8 to 10 games. I would think it's it's going to be 10, at which point he will be able to come back probably around week 11, week 12, depending on his conditioning. So you're looking at you're getting Nick Chubb being the starter for most of the season. I still think that they're not going to give the reins to Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb will still be the guy, at which case likely he will be a restricted free agent. So they will own his rights, and I imagine that they're going to end up trading him. Kareem Hunt's still a very talented back. Whether you believe in second chances or not, I do. I do believe in second chances. I think what he did was horrible. And then, in all honesty, he's kind of a horrible human being for what he did. Um, but everybody is allowed a second chance. So if another team believes that, if he comes out and shows out for a decent amount of time at the end of the season for the Cleveland Browns, I do think they're going to end up trading him next season. You're still going to be able to get a fairly good price for him. I'd imagine at least the second, maybe a third, maybe a couple picks. Um, so that would be my assumption on what they're going to do with him going forward. And then obviously the big draft news Kyler Murray has said that his dream is to be an NFL quarterback. That's the route he's going. So we know now for sure he is entering the NFL draft. He will be at the combine. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what he does moving forward. Again, as uh, we talked about on our QB episode, he is by far one of the most intriguing quarterback prospects in this draft. Uh, his testing, height, weight, everything at the combine is going to be scrutinized and looked at heavily, obviously, over the next coming weeks and throughout this draft process so really interesting to see what goes on with him but there's no longer the narrative on will he go to baseball he came out today and put a post out that if you guys follow me on twitter you saw me retweet it he is going in all in on football and to be an nfl quarterback quarterback <clears throat> excuse me without further ado let's go ahead and get dennis on here and let's talk about south players and teams all right, what's going on, Dennis? Thank you again so much for joining me today to talk about the NFC South. Uh, as I was just talking about with our listeners, though, right before I brought you on here, I was talking about my opinions on the two big bombshells that got dropped today, and I want to get your opinions on it before we move on to talk about what we were supposed to talk about with the Kareem Hunt signing to the Cleveland Browns. Again, I just gave my opinion on what I think that means for Cleveland um, and him moving forward. What are your thoughts on uh, Kareem Hunt going to the Browns? From a tactical perspective, it makes a lot of sense. He's a, a good running back. Um, he's going to sit out for a good portion of next year, and they'll be able to work him in behind Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson, give him some opportunity to show what he can do, and then uh, tender him as a restricted free agent at the end of the year and get back a second or third round pick, depending on uh, what level they tender him at. Or if something happens to... If Chubb or 
Johnson get hurt, you've got a ready-made, uh, high-caliber running back ready to go. So somebody was going to give him a chance. It was just a matter of time. And Dorsey was on the team uh, in Kansas City when Hunt was drafted. So he knows him. He's been around him. Um, it, it, Regardless of how people felt, it was going to happen because he was uh, young enough and good enough. Right. So, you know, that being said, I think the Browns are playing it smart and they've got the cap space to be able to absorb him. And they only paid a million dollars. So it isn't like they uh, are, are given a, a lot of money out. They have uh, quite a lot of cap space. So it makes their team better. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he's a piece of shit human being or not, I guess, from a business perspective, uh, doesn't matter. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and that's, in, in all honesty, kind of the term that I used to describe him uh, in my intro right there. Um, and I'm with you, Hunter, and I do think that he ends up getting traded. Uh, they will own his rights, as we were, you were just talking about uh, after this year. Um, I, I Like I was talking about with my the listeners here just a minute ago, I think it's going to be a little bit heavy-handed on the uh, – um, the suspension. I think it's going to be about 10 games. At least that's kind of what I'm hoping just based on what we kind of saw in the video. They didn't really pursue the investigation because uh, the police or the hotel people would not give the NFL the video. You can say what you want about the NFL on that side. They tried to obtain it. They couldn't get it. We all know TMZ got the video, so that's kind of a gray area. Uh, but Kareem Hunt did come out and say that he did nothing wrong. And then whether you want to say it was a kick or not, I, I, I personally don't care. You shouldn't raise your hands or do anything to the woman that he did. So I kind of agree with – not even kind of. I agree with you 100% on him and what he did was just completely wrong. But based on what he showed on the field, he was going to get a second chance. And I do think – Overall, if you're looking at it from a business or NFL perspective-wise, it is a good move by the Browns because if they're able to get him and he comes out and plays even five, six games this next season and looks good, they're going to be able to trade him and get value back for him for really what was just a $1 million deal. They gave him a million dollars to come in and they could end up trading him. You know, I talked about possibly a second-round pick or a third-round pick, possibly even multiple picks. I doubt they'll get a first for him. But I could easily see them getting a two or three uh, for Kareem Hunt. And in all in all, when you just paid a million dollars for a player and was able to turn that around, that is a savvy business move by John Dorsey. So I am interested to see how that kind of plays out moving forward because I personally don't think he's he's long for the Cleveland Browns. I don't think he's going to sign a, a long contract with them after this year. Um, the other big news that happened really right at the same time that this Kareem Hunt news was going on, a lot of people were kind of overlooking it, was Kyler Murray saying that he's going to go into the NFL draft and go to the combine and everything. He uh, posted out on Twitter, again, if you guys follow me, uh, I, I retweeted out and gave some comments on it, uh, that he said his dream was to play in the NFL and be a quarterback, and that's what he wants to do. Um, and so that's what he's pursuing right now. So baseball is completely off the table. Um, I had him as my number two quarterback uh, when we did our quarterback uh, prospect talk here about a month ago. If you guys want to listen to that, we go over a bunch of QBs on that. It's on. It's in the iTunes on demand. Check that out. We give a lot of great talk on all the quarterbacks. But since Kyler Murray is now fully going into the NFL, um, I talked about how I think he is a very intriguing prospect. A lot of it is obviously going to come down to what he weighs in at and what he is measured at and then what he does at the Combine and Pro Day. Um, but I do think that he's an interesting prospect moving forward throughout this process. Your thoughts on Kyler Murray? Because I know you were not You were just not as high on him as I possibly was moving forward. What, what's your take on Kyler Murray committing fully to football? Well, you know, my concern is that he is not going to be able to to hold up to the rigors of being an NFL quarterback. Right. Um, you know, he he looks small. Uh, 
Um, from all reports, you know, he's gonna be lucky to be five foot ten. Um, and if, at five foot ten and one hundred and seventy pounds, you know, yes, he's mobile and he can get out and run. But in the NFL, a lot of people can get out and run. So he's gonna have to make sure he doesn't get hit. And if you start worrying too much about whether or not you're going to get hit, then you stop focusing on where do I need to get the ball. Um, you know, he reminds me of a skinny Doug Flutie, I guess. He's kind of he's he's quite mobile. Um, does that mean he's going to not have any career? No, but I, I certainly don't think that. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know that he's Russell Wilson or not. Right. You know, it, it just grasping at short quarterbacks. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. And if he gets a head coach and offensive coordinator that have the ability to play to his strengths, you know, for as old school as uh, John Harbaugh might seem, when Joe Flacco went down in the middle of the season, he completely changed his offense to suit uh, Lamar Jackson. Right. And, you know, Josh McDaniels did it a number of years ago with Tim Tebow. So there are some coaches that just don't buy into that whole, oh, well, I, uh, you know, my offense is what my offense is. It's too hard to change it midseason. You know, some of them are good enough that, that they can do it. And whoever brings Murray in is going to need to bring in a similar uh, backup quarterback. You know, for years, Seneca Wallace made a nice living being a mobile backup quarterback. And having somebody like that to come in behind Murray that can step in and play a couple games that can help show him, you know, the NFL ropes is certainly going to be uh, a key uh, so that he doesn't have to worry about trying to be a square peg being fit in a round hole. Yeah, and I agree with you on that. I think especially where he is drafted is going to be huge. If he can go to an offense that's going to be a dynamic with him, um, you know, I don't want to compare him to Baker Mayfield. There are a lot of comparisons you can make. Obviously, Oklahoma, Heisman winner, all that stuff, the shortness. Uh, but Baker Mayfield is taller than him. Um, but the comparison I wanted to make is Freddie Kitchens. The offense that he was running with Baker Mayfield, of Baker getting the ball out of his hand, kind of moving him around in the pocket, getting him outside the pocket. If, so, if Kyler can go somewhere like that where an offense is run like that, I think he he has a chance to have a lot of upside in the NFL. Now, is he ever going to be an elite prospect in the NFL? I personally don't think so, and it's all based on his size. I know uh, a lot of the reports coming out right now is that he's he's weighing in or is uh, measuring in at about 5'10", which is not as short as we all thought. I thought going into this process, all the talk was he was going to be measured in at like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, which is extremely small. We've never seen anybody that small. I mean, even though he wants they compare him to Baker and Russ, like you were just saying, uh, he's not – Baker and Russ are closer to six feet than they are 5'10". So that is going to be something he's going to have to get over. And then, of course, my fear as well is something you were talking about with these, uh, you know, him getting hit is that last I saw him weigh in at was about 185, which is like the size of a wide receiver. And that's not what you need from a quarterback, uh, you know, because there's a better chance of someone like J.J. Watch, Davion Clowney, um, I can't even, and Dominican Sue, Aaron Donald, just completely crushing him uh, when they go back there and hit him if he ever plays him. So that is something that's going to be interesting to see moving forward. But again, he is a very intriguing prospect as well. So something I wanted to touch on, obviously, before we moved on to the NFC South, which is who we will be talking about today. 
Uh, we obviously talked about the NFC North on Thursday. We're going to be doing the same thing throughout these next couple podcasts. And we're moving on to the NFC South. Um, so for me, this uh, division broke out completely differently than I thought it was. I thought that the Panthers would end up winning this division um, and the Saints coming in second. Well, the Saints won the division at 13-3. and We saw them um, obviously had a really good season. They should have started off 0-2, losing to the Browns, uh, but the Browns field goal kicker uh, kind of screwed them on that one. They end up going into the playoffs, and then we all know how that ended with the non-call um, there. Could have made it into the Super Bowl. I'm still on the side of contending that the Saints would have given us a better show in the Super Bowl than, this, than the Rams did, but there's no real way to prove that. Uh, they got followed up by the Falcons at 7-9, and nine, uh, who just really have not seen the same, at least offensively, since being in the Super Bowl a couple years ago and losing that infamous game 28 to uh, starting off 28-3 to three against the Patriots and then making the 25-point comeback to tie it, go in the overtime and end up winning that game though they've made some very interesting coaching changes that I'm interested to see if you think that'll change the offense for them moving forward. Next up, we had the Panthers, who finished 7-9. and nine. We're starting off, They started off the season phenomenally. We're at 7-2 and two at one point, look poised to be competing with the Saints for the division of the NFC North, or at least make the playoffs. They were right there in the top of that NFC playoff picture. And then they lost seven straight and finished the season out seven and nine. A lot of people want to talk about the injuries, obviously, to Cam Newton. That could be a big deal. Obviously, his shoulder injury, that's something we'll touch on when we get to them, is there's a possibility he might sit out the entire 2019 season. And then last but not least, the Buccaneers, who have kind of been in last year the past couple seasons at five and 11. They have just really not been able to put together a competitive team uh, since Jameis Winston has come in there as their franchise quarterback. We'll see if we think that'll change with the coaching changes, the big coaching changes that they made this offseason. So, we're starting with the New Orleans Saints, though. They uh, obviously, again, won the division at 13-3, and and the big question for them this offseason is the impending free agency of Mark Ingram. If he leaves, they have a phenomenal back in Alvin Kamara. Can he carry the load moving forward if it's just him in the backfield? Your thoughts, Dennis? Well, I, I think when you look at Kamara's history, um, he isn't a 20, 25 carry a game guy. Uh, twice last year, he had 19 carries. Um, you know, he carried the load the first four weeks with Ingram out. And I think he carried the ball uh, 194 times last year. So I do believe that uh, if Ingram does leave, he's going to, he's going to probably get a little bit of an uptick in carries. Um, maybe it's going to be a, a pretty, pretty solid 50, 50, um, mix. And, uh, but he's such a dynamic receiver and such a dynamic player in space that it doesn't make a ton of sense for them to not give him the ball. And he's decent size. He's 215 pounds. Um, but I think it's a waste of his skill and ability to, you know, give him 20, 20, 15 carries up the middle, uh, off tackle. You know, you want to get him out. You want to get him in space and uh, let him do his thing out there and then supplement that with those inside plays. You know, if Ingram does leave right now, uh, Dwayne Washington would be the guy to step up. And he's going to be – he's not as versatile as Ingram is. He's going to be more of a traditional LeGarrette Blunt first down, second down goal line pounder but if he's getting 10 or 12 carries uh, a game as opposed to uh ingram who was getting 16 18 20 carries and then camara's getting 15 carries a game now you're you're at 
you know, 25, 27 carries a game and uh, Washington's doing the heavy lifting and Kamara is working out there in space. Do they want to bring in somebody maybe more dynamic to try and compete with uh, uh, Washington? Uh, Washington, I think, is 25 years old, so he's been around a little bit. Right. Um, he, he wouldn't be the first guy to make a, a mid-20s come on the scene kind of thing and, and do something. But I don't have uh, I don't have high hopes for him long term. You know, you might get a couple good years of 150 carries out of him and him be serviceable. But uh, Kamara is going to be the guy, and hopefully, uh, since he's got you know a really good head coach that knows how to use him, uh, he gets to stay out there in space and do what he does. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. I think, uh, obviously, we saw earlier this year he was kind of the main guy. Uh, we had uh, Mark Ingram had that, I believe, it was a four-game PED suspension, so he sat out the first four games. Um, and that is kind of when Boston Scott made his name. Uh, he was the undrafted free agent that the Saints had. Uh, they brought him in after the Ingram news, and everybody thought he was going to be the next big coming. He was going to steal carries away from Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was never going to make his way back into Sean Payton's favor, uh, especially because we've seen over the past few years it seems like uh, Sean Payton doesn't necessarily like Mark Ingram that much. Um, obviously, he didn't do anything. Mark Ingram came back and still had a phenomenal year. He's, in all honesty, been a very good running back when he's been with New Orleans. Um, kind of underrated in the fact that it just seems they move away from him at times, and especially when Alvin Kamara got brought on. I agree with you. I'm not quite sure he'll be able to handle the load just because we haven't seen it from him yet. I would imagine that they end up bringing somebody back or bringing somebody in, but I would not rule them bringing Mark Ingram back. He has said that he wants to come back and play for this team. Um, I would imagine they're going to have to find a way to structure it as a team-friendly deal like you were talking about because they only have $9.2 million in cap space, though they don't have a lot of team needs. They really just have running back defensive line and defensive back, um, which I think they could attack uh, the defensive side of it in the draft, especially with as deep as this defensive class is going into the draft. Um, but that'll be the big thing, I think, and I agree with you. Dwayne Washington, someone interesting if they don't bring Ingram back. I could also see him drafting a running back with as deep as this running class, running back class is to kind of pair with Alvin Kamara to kind of give him a little bit of a, a rest or keep him on the bench a little bit off of his legs there, uh, especially if they lose Ingram. So with that um, being said, there's no real coaching changes that have happened here. Nothing that's really going to affect the team in any certain way. So there's nothing to really talk about there. Uh, they're going to keep defensive and offensive coaches all the same. So we're going to pretty much see the same New Orleans team uh, at least coaching-wise going forward. The big news for me, per free agents. They've got a couple key ones here. Now, Teddy Bridgewater, not really a key free agent, but he's someone interesting that they're going they're likely letting him go. Though I would not be surprised if they re-sign him. I think he would be a great possible follow-up to Drew Brees because we know Drew Brees has said he's only he thinks he's only going to play for about two more years. Um, it would be interesting if they're able to sign Teddy Bridgewater to, say, a, a friendly deal, so to say, and allow him to be the backup, stay in Sean Payton's offense for the next couple years, and then be the future quarterback in New Orleans. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Teddy Bridgewater going forward. Uh, as I talked about with Mark Ingram, I think it, there's a I think there's a better shot overall that he stays in New Orleans than moves on. He's just he's older. He's getting closer to thirty. I don't see another team willing to pay him, you know, a three or four year deal to come in. We've this the mantra around NFL running backs, unless your name is Adrian Peterson, that once you get to thirty, you're probably going to fall off. So I don't see a lot of teams being willing to pay him a lot of money uh, to come onto their team and be the number one. I did want to throw on there Benjamin Watson as well. He was kind of a key tight end for Drew Brees here toward the end of the season. Now. 
the Saints have never really had a key tight end when they needed it. So that'll be interesting to see what they replace him with, though. And then last but not least, not really a key free agent, Des Bryant. Uh, obviously, we saw him sat out pretty much the entire year, came in with the New Orleans Saints when it looked like they were going to make a fairly deep playoff run, and then blows out his Achilles. I believe it was in the first or second practice with them. It was extremely late in the season. If I remember correctly, it was in like week 11 or 12. May have been a little earlier than that. Um, probably out for the rest of the year, but interested in the fact, interesting in the fact that the Saints said they wouldn't be against bringing him back next year if he proves he can come back out and play. Um, so I just wanted to throw him out there. We don't really need to talk about Bryant because, I mean, we didn't see much of him. He looked like he was kind of on his way down fairly quickly, um, before he left Dallas to begin with. But obviously the big guys here, Mark Ingram, Teddy Bridgewater, do you have anything you wanted to add on either one of those guys before we talk about their draft picks and team needs? Well, with with Teddy, it, I guess in a perfect fan world, he sticks around for a couple of years and backs up Breeze and then takes over. But he's he's twenty six. He's gonna if he sits behind Breeze for two more years, he's gonna be twenty eight. And while that's the prime, you're you're just taking over. He's gonna be twenty eight and having to sign a uh, play a year or two before he can sign that big deal. So I, I think he's I, I think he's gonna wanna go find some place where he can play, uh at least have a shot to play. So, you know, I could see him going to Miami, I could see him going to uh oh, who else is looking for a quarterback? Well, Miami would be a good I'd I'd like to see him reunite with Devontae Parker in Miami. That, that way we can figure out if it if Parker really is any good. Wrong conference. Uh <laughs> but no, I, I struggle with uh I struggle with projecting uh, Bridgewater staying in New Orleans because I think he wants to play. And yeah, it's nice to sit behind Breeze, and uh, it's a good story. And but there's no guarantees that when Breeze does retire, that you get the job, or that you can keep the job, or that Sean Payton stays. And if Payton decides, you know what, I'm ready to hang it up too, and somebody else comes in there, they may very well be like. Uh, well, this, this is all great and stuff, but you know, my, my offense runs a little bit different. I want a different style of quarterback or I want to do this and that doesn't, you know, what you do doesn't really fit. And, uh, Bridgewater's left hanging there. So I, I think, you know, being a free agent this year, he needs to go out and take care of himself. It's nice that he was a good guy and went to New York and, you know, stayed, was, was willing to, to sit there. Uh, if need be, when he didn't get the job and didn't cause any waves when he got traded to New Orleans. Uh, but I think the competitive fire in guys like him mm-hmm. says, uh, I'm going to go try to find myself someplace where I can compete for a job. Uh, ben Watson is going to be missed. And, uh, you know, when I look at their team, I, I think that uh, this might be the perfect year to be losing uh, your best tight end to retirement. Right. So it's a deep tight end class. I don't know that Josh Hill or anybody else on that team is kind of the 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 type of player that Watson was in his prime. Mm-hmm. So it'll be it'll be good to see. I, I would expect that uh, New Orleans is going to pick up a tight end in the draft somewhere, and uh, hope that maybe he can produce. And uh, Des, I'm uh, I think Des was washed last year. I, I right. think he he was. Uh, I I don't want to say that New Orleans signed him out of pity. Um, I think they thought he could help be a red zone guy, but I think that's all, all he can do now. 
is I don't think he's you know he's not ter- terrifically fast or he's not a superior route runner. Um, you know he's a back shoulder red zone let me go get it kind of guy. Yeah. And yeah, blowing out your Achilles kind of uh, knocks that out, takes away your leaping ability. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, I'm right there with you. I thought uh, with Des Bryant, I thought the reason they brought him in was to help out Michael Thomas. I think uh, you know someone like you, Buckeye fan, you were a fan of Michael Thomas as well. Around that time, the Saints were struggling to get Michael Thomas the ball. A lot of people, I think, forget how good he was at the beginning of the season. He really struggled there in the middle part of the season due to the fact that Ted Ginn went down. So I really think they brought in uh, Des Bryant to just kind of help Michael Thomas a little bit so he wasn't getting double and sometimes even triple teamed on the defense to give the defense someone else to look at. I agree with you on Ben Watson. Like I said, I thought, you know, he. Drew Brees even came out and said that he was one of his favorite targets to throw to. Um, it will be interesting to see if they attack tight end in this draft because I agree with you. I don't think Dan Arnold or Josh Hill are the answer at tight end. So that leads us into their biggest needs, which actually, surprisingly, a lot of people think that the tight end isn't one of their bigger needs. I do think, I wouldn't say it's a big need because we've seen this offense thrive without a tight end. Um, but if they got someone like Noah Font or TJ Hawkinson, which I doubt they would be able to get because I imagine both are going to go in the first or second round. But if they were able to get one of these guys that are highly touted as Irv Smith, I know there's a lot of people saying Irv Smith might not go till the third or fourth round. If they could get someone like Irv Smith, I think that would be phenomenal for this offense for the next couple of years with Drew Brees. Um, but their main needs are running back, defensive line, and defensive back. So we talked about it earlier. They only have $9.2 million in cap space, and they only have six draft picks this year um, and the first pick is obviously not until the second round because they traded away their first round pick I think obviously they're going to be able to attack these defensive positions in the draft I don't think uh this class is very heavy when it comes to the defense. I think they'll easily be able to attack and get the players that they need for the defensive backfield and the defensive line and really running back in the draft. With six picks, you can easily draft a lot of these guys because they're going to fall. Uh, this class is very deep in running back, defensive line, and, and defensive back. So I think they're going to attack all those. And um, I would not be surprised if they did, like you said, grab a tight end there possibly in the draft with the class that's coming out. Your thoughts on their draft picks, uh, salary cap, kind of where you think they may go in the free agency in the draft? Well, they're going to have to be wise with their picks. I'm showing them only with five picks and only one of those picks in the first four rounds. So they have four picks in the, from five in rounds five, six, and seven. So getting a tight end at, in the second round, that's spending a lot of capital on, on the, probably your biggest skill position of need. So do they go there or do they go defense uh, and try to uh, bring in uh, somebody from that deep tight end class in the, in the fifth or sixth round, uh, uh, Isaac Noada or an Elise Mack or somebody, somebody back in, in that, that area. Uh, you know, they're, they're the entire, uh, for the most part, the NFC South in general uh, doesn't have a ton of cap space. Uh, see, the Falcons have some, but the Falcons have more cap space than the other three teams combined. Well, I guess Carolina's got pretty good cap space too. I guess I should prove my notes a little better. Um, so it's a, it's going to be a, an interesting offseason because they are a really, really good team. Right. And so they're going to have to be really thoughtful with how they spend their money because they are getting to the end of Drew Brees' career. And you don't, you know, the last thing you want to see is, um, a, a team that the talent on, uh, uh, somebody who's been the face of your franchises 
franchise, their talent being wasted at the end of their career because you can't put a team around them to make things happen for them. So I think the Saints have a great organization. So um, I think they'll go heavy on defense, and then they're going to be looking to shore up that uh, two-down back position and then the tight end. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, just like you were saying about the Saints, they are their class organization. They've done a really good job. Um, you know, you can't even not, not. I know that you're not saying this, but you can't even knock them for what they did this year. They really kind of got screwed, and you're looking at one play, and they're possibly in the Super Bowl. So they're obviously doing a really good job trying to build around Drew Brees. I think the only really question they've made, um, questionable decision they've made in the past couple of years was uh, obviously trading up last year, giving up this year's first-round pick to get Marcus Davenport. Uh, he didn't really produce at the level you would have expected for you giving up pretty much two first-round picks to get somebody. Uh, but, again, he suffered some injuries this year. He's still young, 22 years old, so we can see what happens. Um, he might, you know, if he comes out and has a great year next year, maybe that helps eliminate some of the need that, that they have on defensive line. Um, but I think really, in my opinion, that's really the only questionable they've moved they've made here in the past couple of years. Um, and I agree with you. They've done a really good job building around Drew Brees, and I think they're going to do everything they can to try and get him at least one more Super Bowl appearance, if not a Super Bowl win, before he calls it quits on his career. So let me get to, obviously, the Dynasty players' favorite part about these episodes, the Dynasty risers and fallers on these teams. Who do you have that you think could rise up on this team uh, Dynasty-wise, and who do you have that you think could fall on this Dynasty, or Dynasty-wise on this team? Well, you know, this is a team that has very established players, and so they're not going to rise or fall a lot in any direction, except... If they don't bring another running back in, I could see Dwayne Washington carving out a nice early down role that's going to allow him to um, average 12 to 15 carries a game, which could put him in that high running back three, low RB2 uh, range, short yardage, early down, goal line, um, though they're not a team that necessarily uh, feels the need to pound it in from a yard out. Right. Uh, so I could see him moving up. You know, is Traquan Smith going to continue to expand? Uh, I think the, Traquan Smith is going to come at the expense of Ted Ginn. Uh-huh. So it depends on what happens with, with Ginn, how he can, you know, he bounced back from that injury. And uh, you know, he's he's turned himself into a really good receiver. Yeah. So is Smith going to take that next step? Will he step up and become that number two? Um, you know, they had Austin Carr in the uh, – stepped in and did some good things in the slot. Um, but if I had to pick one riser, um, the caveat being they don't draft a, a early down back, I think it's going to be Dwayne Washington. Yeah, and for me, I couldn't really come up with anybody because, as you just mentioned, uh, these guys have really been – they've been kind of planted in their roles, and this team has kind of been the same the past couple years moving forward. Uh, someone that I actually didn't write down on our notes that is semi-interesting to me is Simi Cobbs. Um, I, I, he was a, not necessarily a highly touted prospect last year, but a lot of people were high on him coming out of the draft. He might be someone that could uh, possibly show up here because my dynasty faller is Traquan Smith. Um, a lot of people were just very high on him last year. They had him, you know, coming out being like the sleeper of the draft because he went to New Orleans, expecting him to just show out and beat out Ted Ginn, and he wasn't able to do that. And in fact, when Ted Ginn was out for at least six games with that injury, Traquan Smith really still didn't do anything. He had one good game against Washington where I believe he scored two touchdowns um, and everybody started 
started buying into him. Everybody picked him up in redraft leagues. You were buying him or selling him dynasty leagues. Uh, and he never really replicated that. And so he's kind of my dynasty faller just based on the hype and uh, the value that a lot of people thought he had last year. I think he's going to fall down, and I'm, I'm starting to think he might not be anything more than a wide receiver three, especially in this offense. And then if you talk about possibly losing Drew Brees in a couple years, I don't even know if Traquan Smith can, can elevate himself up any more than that just due to the fact that you're losing a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. Um, so I guess Sidney Cobbs and then um, – I obviously put in there Michael Thomas is kind of a joke. Um, I do think that Michael Thomas could rise a little bit, although I'd, I'd imagine most people are probably picking him in the top five-ish, or at least I would, at wide receiver if you're in a dynasty startup league. But last I looked, his ADP was like wide receiver seven or eight, which is just ridiculous to me. Um, I think that he is by far has the most upside right there with Devontae Adams. I think it's Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins easily is the one and one two at wide receiver. And then I think you can make a serious argument for Michael Thomas at three. So he's someone that I could see rise up just a little bit. Obviously, not a lot, uh, but it's still someone that can rise their value up just a little bit on this team moving forward. Yeah, Thomas just went, he went at uh, wide receiver five in the draft that I'm doing right yeah, now. So, well, just curious. There's still some rising to do. Right. Just just curious, real quick, before we move on to the Atlanta Falcons, I would imagine that uh, Hopkins was one of the ones that went before him. Who were the other four that went before him? So, OBJ w- went number two, wide okay. receiver two, then Devontae Adams. Uh, Tyreek Hill was four, then Thomas. Gotcha. See, uh, Hopkins going number one. See, uh, uh, when what? you say those names, it's hard for me to argue. I personally would take Thomas over Hill um, just because I think if Patrick Mahomes ever gets hurt or if anything happens there, I think that he Tyreek Hill is completely use almost useless at that point because I think Patrick Mahomes is what makes him as good as he is. I know, uh, all, all kidding aside on Hill, we actually had a little debate uh, on the Back Row Fantasy Show last year about him and Sammy Watkins, and I do think that uh, he would not have clearly blown that out of the water had he not had, had Patrick Mahomes not done what he did. Um, and so I, I'm a little skeptical skeptical about Tyreek Hill going ahead of him. Um, now, I am, in all honesty, as, as all of you know, a huge Odell Beckham fan, so I will not argue Odell going ahead of him, although I would, it would be hard for me to press that uh, press that uh, draft button as big of an Odell fan as I am. Uh, but that, that's interesting. I was uh, surprised. I thought Julio might be in there, and I, I would not take him over, or not take Julio over him, but I was curious to see who those guys were. So, Speaking of I actually Julio, got Julio at 210. I was stoked oh, wow. about that. Well, speaking of Julio Jones, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. So, obviously, again, 7-9, and nine, they looked to be poised to be a, honestly, top 5 or 6 pick going into the end of the season where they reeled off, I believe it was 5 wins straight to get to 7-9, and nine, or maybe it was 4 wins. Uh, they just did not look good, and then obviously really kind of t- came on at the end of the season there to get themselves a couple of wins, which I know Atlanta Falcon fans were probably cursing at their TVs every Sunday because they wanted the high draft pick. Dropped all the way down to uh, 14, which still not a bad draft pick, but you'd rather be picking in that top six or seven. Uh, so their big move this year obviously was letting go of Steve Sarkeesian and bringing back Dirk Cutter, who was obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach 
all through last year and the years previous. He has been their offensive coordinator before, as you put in the notes back in 2012. He had the 7th ranked offense, 2013 the 20th, and then 2014 the 12th ranked. So a little up and down there, but I would say at least in 12 and 14, fairly consistent. You're right there in the top 10, obviously in the top 10 and right outside the top 10. Uh, so if you average it out, you're looking at right about 14 or 15. So you're looking at right in the middle of the pack, which they have yet to be really the past couple years. Do you think bringing over Dirk Cutter is going to help out this offense? More speaking, Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, Devontae Freeman. Well, in that 2013 season when Atlanta was uh, 20th, had the 20th ranked offense, that year was the year that Julio missed 11 games. Right. So I speculate uh, that had he played all 16 games, it pro- they probably would have been up there in that uh, t- uh, 8 to 12 range, like in. 2012 and 2014. Right. Um, if I'm ranking the recent uh, Atlanta offensive coordinators, it's definitely Shanahan one, Cutter two, and Sarkeesian three. Mm-hmm. So do do I think that uh, they're going to see a rebirth of sorts? I, I definitely think they're going to step up some from where they were with Sarkeesian, and it should be quick. They're uh, Ryan, Freeman, Julio, they're familiar with this offense. They've played in it. Uh, it's going to be like second nature to them. So I expect Julio's going to have another really good year, and the offense should bounce back. The real question for me is going to come down to the running game, and is Freeman going to be able to be healthy this year, stay healthy this year? Uh, with Tevin Coleman, a free agent, is Ito Smith the answer to that number two role? Those are probably more questions for me than uh, Ryan and Julio in this with Cutter coming back. And I agree with you. And that leads us right into our next topic. And I I agree with uh, everything you said there. I think the fact that he's already been there for the most part with this team and with these players, uh, that he's going to be able to come right in and rock and roll with these guys, get this offense going. Uh, We obviously know Matt Ryan – uh, we saw it this year, even though their offense wasn't that highly ranked, he could still be right up there with the best quarterbacks in the league. And we already know Julio Jones is one of the best wide receivers in the league. I don't see that changing any. The big question for me is the same as yours. What is this running game going to look like? So, will uh, will uh, Freeman bounce back is the big question. He struggled with injuries all of last year, really only played in a handful of games, uh, came back, got shut back down. Tevin Coleman didn't do anything. He's now likely gone. I don't see them bringing him back. Edo Smith looked good. He actually looked better than Coleman at times, and he suffers the injury and goes down. Your thoughts on not just what Freeman will do in this offense, but Freeman moving forward. Do you think that what we saw last year was the start of the downfall of Devontae Freeman? We did see him get paid. He's obviously still a, I wouldn't say, um, he's not aging. He's still a fairly young running back, but not, um, I would say he's still technically in his prime years. He's 26 years old. That's not horribly old for a running back. You've still got, I would, you know, most, again, we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, NFL teams think that you get till 30 is really kind of where you they expect you to fall off. So, again, do you think that Devonta Freeman is, did we start to see the end last year? Do you think he bounces back and comes back to the Devonta Freeman? We, uh, well, I wouldn't say we know and love because I've never been a fan of Devonta Freeman, but Devonta Freeman owners who know and love him, do you think that's the Freeman we see? next year i i don't i i think uh we're, we're right at the beginning of the end um i i i'm much like you in the fact that i've never been a huge freeman guy mm-hmm. you know he's a good back does a decent job he's 
you know, I, I, I just have never been, I've never embraced him for some reason. Looking at his numbers here, it's, I'm not quite sure why. Um, thousand yards, 73 receptions, a thousand yards, 54 receptions, um, then 865 yards and 36 receptions. So maybe it's because by the time I was on Freeman and would have considered him, say, 2017, uh, I started to notice the trend uh, of decline. And then he missed, uh, you know, 12, 14 games this year. Yeah. Two games the year before. I think he's going to come back and they're going to see if he can do it. And if he can't, they'll make whatever adjustment they need to. Uh, Ito did show pretty well. I was pretty pleased with him. Um, but again, I don't think he's a terribly big back either. And so it's going to be one of those situations where, uh, they're going to have to split the load, which kind of, from a fantasy perspective, uh, you have to temper your expectations. You know, we're all looking for that bell cow, and I don't think either one of these guys are going to be that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I like him. I like Edo Smith. Um, I really liked him coming out of college. Obviously, he was one of those guys that um, I had actually projected when it uh, when I first did my rankings. I had him right up there as actually a top ten back based on what he did in college. Obviously, uh, didn't really pan out that way. Uh, he still finished the year fairly well for the limited amount of time that he was out there as Tevin Coleman's backup. What I'll say about Devonta Freeman and why I personally have never been that big a fan of his, so if you go back again and look at the, the two years that he was phenomenal was in 2015 and 2016. Well, there's something that coincides with that as well, and that's something you just brought up a minute ago. Kyle Shanahan, he was their offensive coordinator in 15 and 16, and he was by far, as you just mentioned, the best offensive coordinator the Falcons have ever had. We've seen what Kyle Shanahan can do with running backs. He is a phenomenal offensive coordinator. I remember when he was in Cleveland that one year. Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson were amazing. And then we've seen Isaiah Crowell. Well, Duke Johnson still had a good year after the fact. But we've seen Isaiah Crowell do absolutely nothing after that. And I think that just kind of shows exactly what Kyle Shanahan is. And that's why I've never been a big fan of Devonta Freeman. You look at the years before and after Kyle Shanahan left, there's nothing there. He's just, in my opinion, a middle-tier RB2, but he got paid based on the fact that his last season before he left up was the last year with Kyle Shanahan where he put up a phenomenal year. You can't doubt what he did, but Kyle Shanahan leans on running backs in his offense um, and really kind of made him into the superstar that I don't think, and obviously you agree, uh, that he, he was made into a superstar that neither one of us believed he actually was. And that really helped out Devonta Freeman owners and obviously helped him out moving forward. Um, I do think, obviously, if he comes back healthy, he's still going to be, I wouldn't say the bell cow. I imagine it's still going to be quite the same split that we saw with them, with him and Tevin Coleman leading up into this. At least I would think that Dirt Cutter would be smart to employ a split like that because I do think Edo Smith can handle it. Again, when uh, Freeman went down and it was Tevin Coleman and Edo Smith, Edo Smith came out and looked amazing. He looked better than Tevin Coleman most of the time. And then even when Freeman came back, I think he came back and played for like half a game before they really just kind of shut him down. Edo Smith was out there more often than Tevin Coleman was when Freeman was there. So I think uh, for me, if both those guys are back there, I do like that rotational backfield that I would say if you're a Freeman owner you need to get Edo Smith because a Freeman who has kind of struggled with injuries the past couple years if he goes down again it's going to be all Edo Smith right now they just have Jeremy Langford and Brian Hill a lot of Brian Hill believers out there I'm not one of them Brian Hill season baby <laughs> well I guess you are one of them I personally am not a not a huge Brian Hill believer I think that they'll eventually take a back in this draft class 
Speaking of the draft class, they have uh, their pick. Obviously, we just talked about 14th overall and have all seven of their original picks. So right now they're going into the draft with seven great picks. Their needs are offensive tackle, offensive guard, and running back. I think, again, easily they'll be able to attack all of those in the draft. I imagine they'll possibly do a couple trades maybe to recoup some picks next year, maybe move around, um, because I don't think that this offensive line class is very heavy. Uh, or at least with talent, it's deep, just not a lot of talent. There's kind of an elite class, and then there's a, a decent little drop-off, and then there, there's a t- big tier two. Kind of really, in all honesty, like a lot of these classes coming out, wide receiver, running back, quarterback, defensive back, linebacker. You look at it, there's a pretty big difference, it seems like, from the top tiers of these class to the middle guys. But I think they'll be able to attack all of those, and I think, in all honesty, with the free agents coming up, we both talked about, I don't think either one of us expect Tevin Coleman to come back. I wouldn't expect Matt Bryant to come back, though. I could, I would think that they'd bring him back just based on the fact he's been a very good kicker for a very long time. They have $28.6 million in cap space. I can't imagine Matt Bryant's out there asking for $10 million a year. So I'd imagine if they can work something out, they might bring him back. Zane Beatles and Ben Garland, as well as their big free agents. And then Ger- Ger- uh, Grady Jarrett, as well, the defensive lineman. I think he... Is going to be key. Uh, he is technically a free agent. I would imagine they'll bring him back. If they don't, I think that you can add the defensive line to the position that they need to attack in free agency in the draft if they let him go again. They've got a lot of cap room and a lot of picks, so I could easily see the Falcons turning around their team. Again, 7-9, and nine, not that far off from 500. Uh, very interesting to move forward. Your thoughts just kind of on their, their team needs. Do you think anyone... Um, we obviously both don't think Tevin Coleman will be back. Do you think they try and bring back, say, uh, Garrett, Garrett, J.D. Garrett, my Grady, oh my gosh, whatever. You know who I'm talking about. That's easy for you to say. Yeah, no, it's not, obviously, and I'm not even going to attempt it anymore. Do you think they bring him back, or Matt Bryant, or do you think they just kind of part ways with both of those guys and attack his Defensive line is a little bit deep in this free agency class. They could bring in somebody fairly decent here with the amount of money they have to spend. Yeah, I I think from where they're picking, they're probably going to go defense early. Um, they I would think they'll bring Jarrett back uh, because they have the money and, and can bring him back. You know, NFL contracts are are crazy, and you know, yeah. oh, we're we're a five year hundred million dollar contract is done after two years and. In twenty million, yeah, and it just it's it's all crazy stuff. So the numbers don't really mean what they say they mean. Um, so you know, Jar- Garrett is a, a a good player. I've had him on some of my IDP teams, and he's really provided some value from a fantasy perspective. So that means that he's making some tackles because that's what defensive tackles and nose tackles do. Um, at least that's where they provide their value in fantasy. Right. So. I, I would expect they'll probably go defense just because of the position they're in in the draft in the first round. Second round, I could see him going with an offensive lineman. You know, losing some interior linemen, uh, you know, they're going to have to be active in free agency because they're losing, uh, I think, one starter and a couple depth guys. So they're going to have to do some work there. Uh, an interesting, uh, I think, free agent, uh, I'm going to say bring up two of them that I think could be uh, interesting matches for them from the running back position. Uh, Cameron Artis Payne is an unrestricted free agent. Right. And he sat up there in Carolina. He hasn't gotten a ton of work. He's When he did start behind Stewart, he played well. Um, so he could be that guy that comes into uh, Atlanta 
and he does the the running work and lets uh, Freeman kind of move into the Tevin Coleman role, catch start to catch more passes, do something like that. Um, I think that would be a, a kind of an interesting fit for them. It, it would maybe extend Freeman Freeman's career a, a year or two, uh, get him out in space more instead of running up between the tackles. Um, but another another uh, guy that would be a good fit there that that would do the same thing but would provide more versatility than Payne uh, would be Mark uh, Ingram. I'm probably going to uh, project Mark Ingram to just about everybody. Uh, I'm a Mark Ingram fan. I I think that uh, yes, he's 29, but I think he's also uh, his time at Alabama and his time in the NFL. He has shared. Uh, the backfield and so he hasn't gotten the number of touches that a lot of people with uh, a lot of a lot of backs his age and so I do think there's still some tread on the tires and he is a versatile back and he could he could benefit them uh, from a free agent perspective yeah I agree with you and I mean just uh, for from my two cents real quick on that if, if they were to bring in a free agent running back uh, I could see someone Possibly like Belial Powell, who I think uh, does a very good job in the receiving game, something that uh, could limit. Because I think that's uh, part of where Freeman might uh, take less, I think, is possibly in the receptions. If you look back, uh, besides the years with Kyle Shanahan, he didn't do much in the receiving game. That was more of Tevin Coleman. I do think that he could take a backseat to that, possibly be more of a runner. Uh, So I could see someone like Belial Powell possibly coming in there and doing something like that. Maybe even TJ Yeldon. Those are two guys you can probably get a little bit cheaper. Not that you need to go cheap with the money that they have to spend. Uh, But those are two guys that I would like to see come in there. And I don't disagree with Mark Ingram. Um, It'd be very interesting to see him go there, obviously being a main rival of the Saints. Those two teams uh, hate each other quite a lot. Uh, So it'd be very interesting to see him go there. Who are Well, but is is it... uh... Do you think it was it Tevin Coleman the reason why Freeman didn't catch as many passes, or, or was it Steve Sarkeesian? I mean, I'm sure it could be a mixture of both. The question will be really is I mean, I don't know. Obviously, Freeman wasn't there the entire time that Dirk Cutter was there. Uh, but what did Freeman do with Cutter? Because I honestly have I'll pull up his stats here right now. Um, but I just when I was looking at him earlier, he did not do a lot of uh, get a lot of receiving work. With him, so the only year that he was there with Dirk Cutter would have been fourteen. He got thirty receptions the entire year. Then when you go to, and he only had sixty-five carries though. Right. So he was playing behind Stephen Jackson then. Right, right. But what happened after that was he got seventy-three and seventy-three, fifty-four with the Kyle Shanahan years. Then obviously the first year with Steve Sarkeesian. It went back down to the 36. So but they were still using him a lot more in the rushing game. If you look at obviously um, in 2017, where he was kind of the guy, he got 196 rushes with um, God. Why did I just lose his name there? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian. So I think that Tevin Coleman is not necessarily. I mean, you got to remember too. That was when Dan Quinn took over the team, and that the the whole new regime and everything. They were the ones who drafted Tevin Coleman. Because they liked him. So yeah. the years that they brought him in, 31, 27, 32. So he was used right there. And, and really, in all honesty, I'm looking at his stats right now. It's a complete split. So in 2016, 118, 156. And then obviously this last year, you can't count because Freeman was injured. So you're looking at uh, Freeman had over, obviously over 200 in 2016. That was the year they went to the, the Super Bowl. They had that amazing offense with Kyle Shanahan. Then 2017, Steve Sarkeesian first comes in. Freeman had the 192 carries. Tevin Coleman had 156. And then they had 27 receptions compared to, I think I just said he had 30-something. So it was almost a complete 50-50 split when you look at it. 
And I think that, for me, I always thought Tevin Coleman was better. And maybe that's just because I wasn't a believer in Devonta Freeman. That's why I thought, you know, if you bring in someone like Bilal Power, TJ Yeldon, and just allow Freeman to focus on one part of the game. He doesn't have to worry about uh, being a receiving back or anything anymore. It's just, hey, you're running this, whatever. You're, these are your plays right here. And then let Bilal Powell and TJ Yeldon worry about catching the ball. Because I think that's where both of those guys thrive. I think that's where TJ Yeldon was kind of misused in Jacksonville. He's not that great of a runner. He's not a great rusher of the ball. He's much better when he's moving outside in the flat, catching the ball and doing something afterwards. I agree. All right, so before we move on to the Panthers, the dynasty risers and fallers, and it looks like based on our little show sheet here, we obviously we agree on both of them. So I'll let you give your takes on both of these gentlemen, and then I'll tell you mine. See, obviously we agree on the two names if we give the same reasons on why. Go ahead, your riser and then your faller. Well, I, I do think uh, Smith is, has the potential to be the riser there. He's gonna if Coleman leaves, he's the next man up to take that. Uh, second running back role. And and regardless of the offensive coordinator changes, I do believe that Dan Quinn has watched the success uh, running like that and says to himself now, that's what makes our backfield successful is to split them up and give them both plenty of touches. So whoever he brings in as an offensive coordinator will continue to do that. Um, I'm curious to see your thoughts on Calvin Ridley uh, is he going to step up in front of Muhammad Sanu and become the number two there? Uh-huh. Now, that could move him on, onto this riser. Uh, and getting more reps might uh, avoid some of the touchdown regression that a lot of fan- fantasy analysts are predicted, predicting for Ridley. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily uh, – I don't know that uh, Julio is going to be a, a faller um, – based on anything other than uh, happenstance, because he's still the number one. Uh, I think any reps that any targets that Calvin Ridley takes are probably coming from Muhammad Sanu uh, or the backfield. Uh, I still think Julio is going to you know, be pushing 150 targets. That's where I'm at. Yeah, so I don't necessarily start with Julio as my faller, um, and that's mostly due to because we say dynasty, Julio is someone um, that I've talked about here for years now, and uh, I, I've never—I don't—I know I've said it on the podcast earlier in the season. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to listen. I'm someone who believes that Julio Jones is very much on the path that Calvin Johnson was, and with the amount of foot injuries and everything that he has, I could see him retiring early, and that's my biggest fear with Julio Jones. We're getting closer to that, and I do think that he has a chance to once he gets right around. You know, that 30, 31, maybe 32, that he just leaves the game. He's uh, talked about a lot of times that football isn't everything to him. Not in a bad way, but like that uh, he does a lot of stuff outside of football that he's very proud of. He's already 30 years old. Is that something where he's had so many so many foot injuries that he just decides to walk away from the game because he wants to be able to walk right for the rest of his life like Calvin Johnson did? I've been firmly on that train. I've heard that from many, not many people. I've heard that from a couple people before, just listening to different stuff throughout NFL and everything. Again, nobody that knows Julio Jones has walked up and said, hey, Matt, Julio Jones is going to retire in a couple years. I've just really thought that from things that I've heard him say in interviews and whatnot uh, throughout my time the past couple years. So that's what worries me. I don't think Calvin Ridley really takes much away from him. I am not personally a big Calvin Ridley guy. Um, I don't think I, I... 
there's a dispersal draft actually going on in one of my leagues right now, and I was discussing it with one of the other owners, uh, and they were talking about taking Calvin Ridley fairly early. I just don't. I think Calvin Ridley is exactly kind of what he showed us this year, and that he is a boomer bust wide receiver too. I don't think he's ever going to be the number one if Julio were to leave this year. I would not expect Calvin Ridley to step up into that role. I just don't think he's that good. I don't think he's elite. I think he's very good at a lot of things that he does, and elite at nothing, kind of like uh, I said for TJ Hawkinson. Um, I, I think that he is bound to regress a little bit in the touchdown uh, touchdown department. Obviously, I think he had two games where he scored three touchdowns in each of those games, so you don't expect that to happen again. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could see him overtaking Mohamed Sanu, no doubt about that. I thought that would happen last year. I thought at times he did do that, but Mohamed Sanu still showed up at times when you expected Ridley to show up. Um, so, But I don't think Ridley affects Jones' value one way or the other. And I agree with you on Ito Smith 100%. I think Ito Smith, um, again, I've been high on him since he came out of college. I think he's a really good, versatile back. I don't think he's someone that can handle the full load. Uh, but I do think he's a very good complementary back. I think he's someone that can come in there, change a pace, catch a couple balls, and do something with it. We saw it. A lot of his touchdowns he got this past year were receiving touchdowns because once he gets to the ball, he can be very electric. I just don't think he has uh, has the frame to hold up to be uh, the every down back again. Again, I'll reiterate what I said just a minute ago. If you're someone who has Devonta Freeman, though, Edo Smith, I would uh, try to attack and get in the uh, in the off season here if you don't have him as a backup because Freeman has struggled with injuries and Edo Smith, I think, will be a suitable replacement if Freeman ever has to sit on the bench due to injuries. I would imagine you'd be able to get Smith for at worst a second round pick, which I don't think is too much to give up for someone like Edo Smith. Yeah, that's a reasonable price. Yeah. So moving on to the Carolina Panthers, um, again, I thought they were going to have a much better year, and they were having a very good year. They started out were at 1.7-2 before they lost seven games straight, finished 7-9, and nine, and a lot of it coming down on Cam Newton and his shoulder. Likely most of you who are listening to this at this point have seen the news, heard the news. It's been talked about widely before the Super Bowl, leading into the Super Bowl. The fact that uh, the owner came out and said that Cam Newton might sit the entire 2019 season due to the shoulder injury because they want, I'm guessing because they view it kind of like Andrew Luck and what happened with Luck. They don't want to rush him back. They've already done that once. Let him sit the whole year, let the shoulder get healthy, then hopefully he comes back and is an MVP candidate uh, like he obviously has already won an MVP like Andrew Luck did this year. Your thoughts on Cam Newton's shoulder? I mean, obviously neither one of us are doctors, so it's going to be very hard to predict that. Um so, actually, I want to ask what you think will happen because there's really no way for us to know. If, say, Cam Newton comes back and his shoulder is 95-ish percent healthy, um, or say that he's able to po- hopefully stay healthy the full season, do you think that that will increase DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel? Will they be able to take the next step moving forward? And does that hurt CMC, or do you think it'll go the other way around? It'll help CMC and hurt DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Well, I, I think if his shoulder is only 90%, uh, he's gonna, they're going to really take the run game away from him to limit the hits. Uh-huh. So, you know, teams don't throw that far down the field that often. So, you know, can he, if, can he throw it 20 yards? Okay. How many times is he really going to need to throw it 60 yards? Uh, it does affect the game a little bit from, from that perspective, but they're really, uh, if his shoulder is solid and it's just, I need to build up strength. Uh, they came out, they already said that uh, the surgery revealed that his shoulder wasn't as damaged 
uh, as the doctors feared. That was reported uh-huh. by Joseph Person. Gotcha. Um, so they expect he'll be ready. You know, he's not going to do anything in the offseason except rehab his shoulder. Uh, you know, he probably won't do anything in the preseason either. And so then he'll come in to the, you know, week one. I think DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel will continue to progress. But how big a step they take, I think their their development is, uh, in my opinion, always going to be hampered uh, by Newton. Mm-hmm. You know, he's... He, he has a tendency sometimes to just, uh, you know, not make terrific throws. Last year was his best year completion-wise at 68%, uh, but it wasn't his highest number of yards. Uh, he typically is in the 57, 58, 59% completion. Right. Um, you know, he's a good quarterback. He can do some things because of his mobility. Uh, the shoulder injury may be just the thing that makes him have to step back and go, uh let me reinvent exactly what it is I do and how we do it. And Norv Turner uh, is the kind of quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator uh, that can help him be that different type of quarterback. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's going to be um, since uh, I've missed that report. So I'm glad that you told me that because I honestly had no idea that they said that. I think then that almost for my part, kind of illuminates to the fact that he's going to play this year, which I think is good news for, obviously, Carolina, their fans, and uh, all of our dynasty players on the Carolina Panthers. Um, As you touched on with Cam Newton, so this was by far his best year percentage-wise, 67.9. The closest year he had to that was back in 2013 when he was 61.7, and then the only other year he finished with at least 60% was his rookie year in 2011. Other than that, he's been 57, 58, 59, 52, and 59. So obviously he's very struggled with that. He's wildly inaccurate. What uh, come where he gets all his fantasy value from is his legs. And if they're really going to take that away from him, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because they talked about doing that a couple of years ago. And I believe that was the year back in 2016 where he had by far one of his worst years all around. And that was because he was not running the ball that much. They tried to make him just a pocket passer. And that's not what Cam is. He just, I don't think it's in his brain. I don't think it's in his you know DNA to just stand back there and throw the ball. If his shoulder is healthy, I think personally it helps out Curtis Samuel and uh, Christian McCaffrey more than anybody else. Uh, DJ Moore, I love Moore. He was my number one last year for the wide receiver class. Again, I talked about how I thought him and Antonio Callaway were the only two elite prospects in that class. They were the only two I thought could take over, come to a team, and be the unquestioned ones. And then, as we talked about when we did the wide receiver class, again, it's free download on iTunes. It's there. You guys can check it out. Uh Going to the Carolina Panthers was one of the worst places for him to go because he is a, an incredible deep threat. I think once you get the ball in his hands, he can do great things with it, but Cam Newton struggled to get the ball in his hands this year, as we saw. The reason I think that it helps CMC and Curtis Samuel is just what you were talking about. Can you throw it 5 to 20 yards? He can. That is actually where Cam Newton is by far the most accurate He th- when he throws the ball. It's right there. And who is that going to help out most? Your slot wide receiver and Curtis Samuel and your running back who's always going to be out there in the flat and CMC. And if you go back this year and look at his stats and see why he was so good um, and why he was so accurate was because he was doing that a lot. He was dumping the ball off to CMC a ridiculous amount. That is why CMC was so good in fantasy this year because he had so many receptions, was able to do so much with it. So I think regardless, shoulder healthy or not, um, the best players moving forward for them is going to be CMC and Curtis Samuel. I think that DJ Moore has a chance to 
take a little bit of a step back, and that might be a little bit of a prelude to what we're going to talk about here in a minute with him. As it comes to the coaching changes, there was nothing really done here. What I'm interested to see is if Ron Rivera stays to still kind of coach the uh, the defense. If he's, uh, Though they brought in a defensive coordinator, um, but is he the one who's actually going to call the plays or if it's going to be Ron Rivera? We've seen uh, when Ron Rivera's called the plays outside of Steve Wilkes, who is now with the Cleveland Browns, uh, Ron, Ron Rivera's done a really good job of getting this defense up and hype and good to go. Um, I like Ron Rivera as a coach, so I would love to see him kind of call the defensive uh, play calling duties, especially if their defense is going to be as bad as it was last year. Um, and a signing that actually happened earlier today was Eric Reed signed, I believe it was a four-year deal with the Panthers. So I thought that was a great signing for them. Um, obviously one of the best, better safeties in the league uh, a couple of years ago then was kind of left out in free agency for a while due to the kneeling issue. Panthers brought him in on that one-year deal last year, um, and he proved to be very good. Uh, they, they re-signed him up to a four-year deal, so I thought that was a good move by him. So, obviously, we got these numbers beforehand. I don't know how much that affected the cap. At the time that we did all of our stuff, they were left with about $19 million in cap room. So that's still a lot of a lot of work or a lot of money to work with. They only have a couple key positions here in offensive tackle, defensive end, and losing Julius Peppers uh, as he retired. Safety and wide receiver. Obviously, for me, the offensive line is the biggest need they need because we saw Cam Newton get hit multiple times, not because he was running, but because that offensive line was horrible. They're losing in free agency. No one, in my opinion, that is worth even talking about. I'm not a Devin Funches uh, fan. I do not think he's very good. I think he's a tight end playing wide receiver, and he's not even that good at catching the ball, so he's really just a big body out there doing nothing. Uh, Cameron Artis-Payne, he's interesting to me because, as you talked about earlier, we've seen him flash at times. Um, I don't think he comes back to Carolina, so it'll be interesting if he lands somewhere, for instance, like you said, the Saints, and uh, if he's able to make a name for himself or do something there with Alvin Kamara. Uh, I put Taylor Henneke in there just because of the Cam Newton news, but if we know Cam Newton's coming back, there's really no no matter if they re-sign Taylor Henneke or not to be the backup quarterback. Obviously, if Newton was going to be out, Taylor Henneke staying on with that team with him being there for already a year and kind of knowing that offense, I thought it'd be key for him to be, to be re-signed and be the quarterback. So, offensive tackle, uh, for me, is their biggest need along with wide receiver because now you're looking at really Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore being the guys, um, and I don't don't think that uh, you. I would imagine you agree with me being a Buckeyes fan, and you've seen what Curtis Samuel can do. He's profiles perfectly in that that slot role. He's not an outside guy, so in my opinion, they need to get an outside guy. Um, that is definitely something they can attack in this draft. They have sixteen. They pick at sixteen and have six of their picks, so they should be good to go. Again, very deep wide receiver class. Very deep wide receiver class with guys who are on the outside, big body guys. So with all that being said, kind of ran a little bit long there, uh, on the, being a little bit long-winded on that stuff. The free agency, 19 mils, six draft picks, picking at 16. Again, I said offensive line and wide receiver, their biggest needs. I think they could attack both in free agency and the draft. Your thoughts on which way you think they should go or those their biggest needs in your opinion? Yeah, I, you know, a quarterback's best friend isn't always the uh, the wide receiver that catches the ball or the, the running backs. It's it's those linemen that, that keep them upright, that give them time to read the defense and make yeah. the decisions. So getting to the point where they can uh, not have to worry about Cam getting hit, where he can sit back there and he, he can read the defense, that's definitely uh, 
would be my number one. You know, they do need a bigger wide receiver. Most of their wide receivers, you know, Moore is six foot, I think, maybe six one, two ten. Uh, Samuel is a 5'11", 200-pound guy. Jarius Wright's their third wide receiver now. Um, you know, they've got good tight ends with Olsen uh, and Ian Thomas. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wish Olsen would go ahead and retire, but, you know, I guess he's going to try to play one more year on one foot, I guess. So go if I, if I was able – if I was them and I was able to pull one of the top offensive linemen in the first round uh, and then uh, one of the big wide receivers in the second – uh, you know, that would make for a very nice start to my draft and, uh, you know, then follow back up in the third round with another offensive lineman. You know, that makes uh, that really boost their offense. I do think with Payne leaving, they are going to need to do something uh, or P- Payne potentially leaving. Uh, right now, the backup in that situation would become Elijah Hood. Uh, I think he went to North Carolina. Yeah, but uh, he's a. He's a he's a big guy. He's a 5'11", 230-pounder. Um, so they're, they're, I would expect them to go be active in the running back market, whether it's uh, free agent or draft. They're, they're going to need to do something there. To, to I, I don't know if uh, 107 receptions and 200, uh, what did he have? I think 200, 219 carries. So that's 300 and 326 touches for a, a 5'11", 205 pound back. Uh, that's a good way to end up with Devontae Freeman. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you on that. I didn't think about that with running back. They'll definitely have to get. I think Elijah Hood is actually uh, a free agent, so that's someone they'll have to bring back as well. Um, you know, you could talk about some of the guys. Actually, uh, you know, you were talking about Mark Ingram. I don't, I don't know if Mark Ingram would be a great fit here, uh, but I could see someone like you know Latavius Murray. Uh, I mean, I really would like to see Garrett Blunt go away at this point. But Garrett Blunt, someone that can just kind of come up there and get you three or four yards right up the middle, beat some people up, compared to what Christian McCaffrey does, I think those could be some two interesting signings on the free agent side. Yeah, that would be, you know, Alex Collins is a free agent as well. Him and Gus Edwards both are free agents. Uh, Uh, Edwards is an exclusive rights free agent. Oh, and Collins is a restricted free agent. So, gotcha. That's gonna make those. That's gonna make those challenging. Yeah. Spencer Ware is a free agent. Yeah, that could be interesting, especially with them already signing up Damian Williams. I mean, I think I would personally, at least what I've seen the past couple years out of Latavius Murray, I would I would like to see him go to Carolina. I think you could get him on a on a decent deal there with the amount of cap room that they have. And like I said, he could be someone I could you know I don't want to compare the two because I think CMC is world. I wouldn't say world's better, but much better than Dalvin Cook. Uh, but if you could kind of employ them the same way Minnesota did with him and Dalvin Cook, that could be a very interesting duo in the backfield. Just looking at these wide receiver free agents, there's no one here that really sticks out to me. And the one guy that I like the most is Golden Tate. But I'd hate to see Tate go here, number one, because of Cam Newton's uh, struggles with accuracy. And then obviously that would kind of displace Curtis Samuel. Um, And I love Samuel, not just because of him being a former Buckeye, but how good he is. I think it's just an offensive weapon. I wouldn't even call him a wide receiver. I'd call him an offensive weapon with everything he could do. So nobody really I'm seeing that I would think would be a really good fit there. Maybe Tyrell Williams, a big big wide receiver, can play on the outside. Um, But I think they'd have a better shot at getting somebody in the draft. Um, like you were saying, get someone in the second round because there's still a lot of people talking about, you know, 
if if just my guy, Hakeem Butler, there's a lot of people talking about he'll fall to the second or third round. If you can get Hakeem Butler in the second round, it don't matter how inaccurate Cam Newton is because we saw how inaccurate right. uh, Iowa State's quarterback was and Butler was still going up and getting the ball. So that would be phenomenal for them, I think. Um, and then I completely agree with you on the offensive tackles. I think really looking at this offensive uh, line class free agency-wise, they have to attack this in – um, in the draft because they're the best wa- uh, the best offensive lineman I believe that's a free agent is Ryan Khalil who was horrible for the Panthers he was not that good as their center uh, so I think that they really need to kind of attack this class and get those right but picking at 14 there's a lot of uh, linemen I've seen dropping down in the draft you know this guy we talked about the other day and Greg Little out of Ole Miss he was fairly highly touted by a lot of people they see that now he's kind of fallen a little bit um, he's someone I could see who has the talent, all the talent in the world. If he was drafted by the Carolina Panthers, could already start shoring up that offensive line. All right, so now moving on to our dynasty risers and fallers for this team. Um, I see we um, we've got a couple names on here, so let's get our risers first, and then we'll talk about the fallers. Who do you have that you think could be a dynasty riser on this team? You know, we we've talked a lot about Curtis Samuel. You know, he he is an exciting playmaker from the slot. Yeah, uh, his uh, I, I think where he plays on the field suits Cam a little bit better than DJ Moore. And so if I had to pick one of the two of them, uh, I, I think he could improve upon his year last year. Both of them, uh, Samuel and Moore, are going to see an uptick in targets because they go from being the two and the three to the one and the two. Right. And they're they're both they, – they both have really good after-the-catch skills. So it could be uh, – it, it could just end up being uh, a shorter offense. They're not going to play down the field because they want to get the ball out of Cam's hands. They want to cut the field down so that he can be quicker. And they're going to let those guys make plays 10, 15 yards down the field instead of 20, 25 yards down the field. And then they both of them have the speed that if they need to take a shot over the top, uh, that's certainly uh, an opportunity that's there. Right. Uh, the other one I really like is the tight end, Ian Thomas. When uh, Greg Olson went down with injury last year, Thomas flashed some really good ability. Uh, he's a good blocker. He's a good receiver. Uh, he's pretty athletic. And I I really would like to see him have an opportunity to step into that role full time. You know, the the tight end position takes a little bit longer to develop. It isn't always uh, – you don't get a lot of plug-and-play guys from that position because they're having to learn two aspects of the game, right. uh, the blocking and the receiving. And so it, it does present a little bit of a different challenge. But he showed that he could, he's ready if uh, Olsen can't make the go or if they have to drastically reduce Olsen's um, – playing time because his foot just won't hack being out there for, you know, 90% of the tight end snaps. Uh, they, they should have no fear uh, putting, putting Ian Thomas out there. Yeah, I agree with you on Thomas. I thought um, at times he struggled a little bit, but showed exactly what he could be. He had a couple of good games in there after Olsen went out, and I think a lot of it goes back to that, right? What you just said, we've talked about it multiple times. Uh, tight end, you rarely see somebody come in and, and just contribute right off the bat because they have to learn both phases of the offense, not just the blocking, but everything they have to do in the receiving game as well. You know, I can think of a couple guys off the top of my head just recently here in Evan Ingram and George Kittle are really the only two guys that I can remember kind of producing right off the bat. Um, and just imagine, I can't even th- tell you how many tight ends have been drafted 
uh, over the past couple of years. So for two guys to be the only ones, and Evan Ingram I think was more of a product in the fact that absolutely everybody on that offense had gotten hurt up until that point. He was kind of the only option Eli Manning had left. Um, and then George Kittle, I would say it's more just based on the offense that Kyle Shanahan runs. He runs a very fast, quick-paced offense that I don't think uh, requires the tight end to block as much as kind of why he has uh, thrived where he has. Um, I had Curtis Samuel based on everything you just said there. Again, I, I call him an offensive weapon. I think that um, they're going to be able to now – the key for him is going to be staying healthy. The past two years he's dealt with injuries in the preseason coming into the year, hasn't been healthy, has missed a lot of time. If he can stay healthy and get out on the field, they're going to find the right way to use him. And then if you have him on one side, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, and then DJ Moore as well, that is a scary-looking offense right there because you have – You've got to look at all three of those guys are all home run threats right there standing on that side. You know, whether it's more on one side, Curtis Samuel on the side, and CMC right there behind him. Any one of those guys can take it to the house on any play. Uh, so I think Curtis Samuel, if they can get him the ball, if he stays healthy, could be a huge dynamic threat for this offense moving forward. Um, and I'll give you my uh, my father really quick before I get yours. Um, and it is DJ Moore, just based on the fact that I think he – is going to be required to make more plays downfield. Again, this is based on the way their team looks right now. If they're able to go out and get another wide receiver to possibly help out more, maybe he won't fall down as much. Uh, but right now with him being the one, I just don't see him being able to to get the ball enough from Cam Newton down the field uh, to make the big plays. I, I imagine he'll still make really good plays, you know, catching it 30 yards down the field and then taking it to the house and making a big play. But that's going to be more DJ more than Cam Newton helping him out. And as we know with wide receivers, you got to get the ball from your quarterback first to make a big play. So, so more is my faller. Who is yours? Well, uh, Cam, I I still think that if if he is healthy enough to play, yes, they tried to make him only a thrower, uh, and it didn't work out very well. But I think that there's a difference between being only a thrower and limiting uh, the opportunities to run by calling creative plays that put your receivers in positions to be open. And so if you, so if Cam's not running as much, he's, he, it doesn't become, you know, you lose. So even if you have a 30% decrease in his ground yardage and a 30% decrease in his ground touchdown, you know, that's a hit right there. And then if you, if the game ends up, the field shortens up because they know it's going to be, you know, he isn't going to re-injure the shoulder, but it's going to take him another year to get it to the point where he can totally just let it fly. Uh-huh. You know, that shortens up the field. That that potentially cuts down on some of the yardage he might get passing. So what's that mean? So Faller, does he fall from QB5 to QB8? Maybe something like that. QB8 to QB11. You know, is he going to fall from you know QB5 to QB18? No, he's not going to fall that far. Right. But I, I can see him dropping a few spots. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think a lot of that's going to come, obviously, like what you talked about, if they, how much they limit his running. Because you also have to look at, he gets a lot of his points in the rushing touchdowns he gets when he gets into the red zone. And that's a huge deal, especially with you know most people playing a quarterback league where you get six points for a rushing touchdown, only four points for a passing touchdown. So all those times that he, I mean, I can think of a couple games in mind where I know he vultured at least two touchdowns from CMC in those games alone. Uh, that's going to hurt you because you're losing 12 points right there if they try to limit his running. Moving on, 
to the last team in the division, and a team that I think has a little bit of interesting upside here in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So 5-11, and 11, they just couldn't get it right this year. Jameis Winston dealing with more off-field issues that's kind of plagued him his entire college and NFL career so far. Obviously, it started out with Ryan Fitzmagic, and they had me singing on the podcast earlier in the season about Fitzmagic and everything he was doing. And then we saw him, as everybody likes to say, turn into Ryan Fitztragic and just kind of struggle. They put Jameis Winston in and then they were just kind of yo-yoing those two guys back and forth for a while before they finally decided to stick with Winston. We saw Dirk Cutter obviously got let go. He's now in Atlanta. They bring in Bruce Arians, who a lot of people, I would imagine you agree with me, think he is a very, very good coach, very great offensive mind. However, he brought in Byron Lefwich to call the plays. Now, I personally was not that impressed with what he did in Arizona. Did not have a lot of time to do that, obviously, call plays in Arizona. Um, we'll see if he actually is the one calling the plays or if it's going to be Bruce Arians. Um, but obviously, Bruce Arians coming in, he's already talked about his biggest thing is he wants to reduce Winston's turnovers. Jameis Winston has had more turnovers than any other quarterback in the league since he's entered the league except for one just really quick, do you happen to know who that one quarterback is? See, when did Jameis enter the league? It would have been back in 2015, I believe. I will double-check that, but it was 15 right. or 16. So, the last five years, who's had the most? Eli, probably. It was actually Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles is the oh, only other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is the only other quarterback who's had more turnovers, and it was 2015. Yeah, he's the only other quarterback who's had more turnovers than Jameis Winston, and it was only three more. So that just kind of, for all of you people out there who hate Blake Bortles because of how many times he turns the ball over, just think about that. And the amount of time that both of them have been in the league, Blake Bortles has only turned that ball over three more times than Jameis Winston. That is just how careless he has been with the ball. I don't think a lot of people realize that. In all honesty, I didn't realize he was that bad with the ball until I saw that stat a couple weeks ago, and it blew my mind mind away so obviously well yeah. but you can't take that stat in a vacuum though how many touchdown passes did each of them have and how many yards did each of them throw for well you know what so i'll you know I'll if they each ahead. throw 25 interceptions but bortles throws 25 touchdowns and Jameis throws 35 touchdowns and bortles throws for 3200 yards and Jameis throws for 4500 yards mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to forgive Jameis's interceptions than it is Bortles' interceptions. Oh right, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not too comparing the two. I'm just comparing the uh, the amount of times he turns the ball over. He, no doubt, a much better player than Blake Bortles, especially offensively. Uh, but just the fact that he turns the ball over that much is the point. Because everybody knows, I mean, a lot of people don't like Blake Bortles because of that, because of how often he turns the ball over. So that was the the point that I was uh, point that I was going towards. But while I'll actually look that up for you so we can talk about that here in just a second. Your thoughts on uh, Bruce Arians coming in. Do you think that that's going to help out Jameis Winston? And then your thoughts on possibly uh, if you think Byron Leftwich is going to be the OC or if you think it's really going to be Arians and, and Leftwich kind of learning from him? I, I think it's going to be a combination of the two in part because I think uh, Arians wants Leftwich to succeed. Uh -huh. And in doing so, he's going to let Leftwich call plays, uh, he may step in, he may overrule him, he may say, hey, let's write, let's script these first 15, you show me your script for these first 15 plays, and then let's talk about uh, what I like and don't like about it. Um, but he's definitely involved in, or invested in uh, Leftwich being successful. You know, Bruce isn't going to coach a long time. He, he's 
older. He wants to leave a legacy. He wants to win. So he's definitely going to be involved because he wants to win. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But that that being said, uh, they're they're going to have to you know they're going to have to take a Mike Martz approach to it. Mm-hmm. Jameis is going to turn the ball over. Yeah. But you have to kind of put him in positions to minimize the effects of those turnovers. And I think Leftwich, I mean, I, I don't think Leftwich was uh, a guy who didn't turn the ball over. I, he, he had some issues. Part of his was slow processing, I think. Yeah. Uh, long wind-up. And, uh, he, I mean, he made Tom Brady look fast when he ran. <laughs> but if they, if they just – if they focus on what he does well – and they keep putting him in position. There's going to be some some turnovers, but there's also going to be a lot of explosive plays. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you on on left witch and everything. Like I said, I, I agree with you on Arians on him trying to leave a legacy. That's why I think at least this first year he might be the one calling the offensive plays and kind of let left witch learn from him and then kind of give him the reins and move forward. Uh, but it'll be something interesting to watch. Cause like I said, I, I think Arians is a great offensive mind. Um, but I do think it actually with his play calling, if he is the one doing it, uh, is actually going to hurt a star of this team. But back to the stats real quick we were talking about with Winston and Bortles. So I know you were just uh, – kind of hinting that you've got a couple of things that you were looking up there. I'm going to let you read yours in just a second. So Jameis Winston, I just did from 2015, obviously, to 2018. Bortles was in the year, uh, in the league one year longer. I didn't want to mess with Bortles' stats that year because it gave him a little bit of an advantage. So just from 15 to 18, Jameis Winston had 76 turnovers, 97 touchdowns, 1,400 and, I'm sorry, 14,628 yards. Blake Bortles had 90 turnovers, so actually 14 more. I thought it was only a couple more, 14 more, but 92 touchdowns, so only five less, and actually had more yards, 14,738 yards. So I think the biggest thing that helped Bortles out there is uh, while Winston had a couple good years in the 20s range of touchdown throws, uh, the year 2015, where Bortles almost led me to a championship, he had that 4,000-plus year in 35 touchdowns, which really kind of helped boost up his numbers. Uh, What were the stats that you were just able to find on both of them? Well, I was checking out at the FF Statistics website and comparing them head-to-head with fantasy points. Uh-huh. And so the only year in four-point touchdown leagues, the when you compare their head-to-head years, 15, 16, 17, and 18, 2018 was the only year that Jameis outpointed Bortles. So wow. okay. it's almost like we have this image of uh, Jameis Winston as, yeah, he makes some turnovers, but he's going to get a bunch of yards and touchdowns. Now, granted, I suppose thinking back, uh, Jameis did miss like five games this season. Uh, but we have the image of Bortles being this turnover machine that doesn't get any yards or score any points. In three out of four years in four-point touchdown leagues, uh, Bortles outscored Winston. And in the year that Winston outscored Bortles, it was literally they ranked his QB 23 and QB 24. Wow. Uh, and they both missed some games this year, so... You know, they, they, I guess they're not as far apart as our initial impression seems. Right, yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting. Um, I wonder if that speaks more to, I should maybe Blake, I think it's a little bit of a mixture, actually. I was going to ask, ask you a question, but I think it's actually more of a mix. I think Blake Bortles is probably a lot better than we give him credit for, and maybe Jameis Winston isn't quite as good as we think he is. Everybody kind of perceives him. Uh, as like this top 12 quarterback and that Blake Bortles is just a horrible quarterback and maybe they're more closer to the 15-20 range both of them are than we thought. So moving back on to talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so they have a couple key free agents here 
Um, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I think could be a big deal in the fact of just how good he plays. I think chances are he's not going to be back in Tampa Bay, but I'd imagine he's going to get a backup job somewhere because he still has a lot of knowledge and I think is someone that can uh, be a very good backup quarterback uh, for a young young quarterback if needed. Um, Adam Humphreys, which I think is a big Big move for them. Um, unfortunately, they only have 7.5 mil in cap space. I don't think Adam Humphreys would cost them that much, but he's someone I think they should possibly go back out and re-sign because um, I don't think that their wide receiver core is necessarily that deep, especially with the fact that they likely are losing Deshaun Jackson. Um, and then obviously Peyton Barber and Jaquiz Rogers. That's good news for me. Um, lo- possibly losing both of those as a huge Rojo believer because I think that possibly moves him into the key spot there. Um, but their biggest needs are obviously if they lose Bar- Barber and Rogers is going to be running back, offensive line, and defensive line. Again, 7.5 mil in cap room doesn't give you a lot of room to make maneuvers in the free agency period. Um, and they pick at five and have six picks in this draft. So they're picking at the top of the round every round at pick five. You're likely getting a stud defensive lineman. So chances are, if you take that, you're kind of eliminating that need somewhat. Maybe you need to add a little bit depth later on, but you're likely going to get a, a key guy right there to eliminate that. So now you're looking at running back, offensive tackle, and offensive guard. Knowing that 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 is kind of the, uh, the uh, places that you need to attack, something you talked about earlier. You can still possibly get a really good offensive lineman in the second round, so I'd imagine they'll go that route and kind of help shore that up. And then, obviously, we've both talked about running backs. is very deep in this class, so again, something they could attack in the draft. So my question would be to you, knowing you only have $7.5 million, you've got Peyton Barber, Jacquez Rogers, and Adam Humphreys. If you could only re-sign one of those three, who would it be? Uh Adam Humphreys, I suppose. Okay. You know, that that running back room has really just kind of disappointed all around. Yeah. Uh, I had high hopes for Peyton Barber coming into this year. You know, I didn't expect him to be the second coming of Adrian Peterson, uh, but I did expect him to be a little bit better than he was. Uh, I expected, you know, 4.0, 4.1 yards of carry, 800 or 900 yards, and I I really thought he would just do more. I, I'm not a, you know, we've had numerous conversations about Ronald Jones, and Ronald Jones did all that I expected him to do and more this year. Uh-huh. Um, but to have Quiz Rogers still there, uh, I they they need to go out and they need to completely rebuild their their running back room. Um, whether it's they need to bring in uh, rookies, they need to bring in free agents, uh, the whole nine yards. And uh, to do that, they're they're going to have to to make a lot of moves because they only have seven and a half million in cap space. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think um it's going to be interesting to see how they attack this um this running back room. Like I said, only seven point nine mil in free agency. Maybe they're able to get a guy like a say Amir Abdullah or. Ah, man, I wouldn't even want to say Alfred Morris. Uh, Alex Collins is, like you said, they would probably have to trade for Alex Collins. They wouldn't be able to get his rights. Someone we've all kind of overlooked here, Jay Ajayi. Uh, he's a free agent. Might be interesting. I don't know if he, they'd be able to get him for that low amount of money. Again, I don't know exactly how much their cap jumps up next year in 2020, but just 7 mil this year. Uh, maybe they're able to bring in some one of those guys, um, you know, John, well, Jonathan Stewart, Corey Grant, Corey Grant flashed a little bit with Jacksonville. Maybe Doug Martin just continues his somewhat mediocre run there, and they bring him in. But they're going to have to do something there. Um, again, I, I'm a huge Ronald Jones fan and believer. I think that he's going to be the guy 
with them this year. I think that they could easily attack that position in the draft, get a guy to pair with him, and, and use that as a, a split backfield um, moving forward. And I, But I agree with you. Adam Humphreys would be the guy that I would go after. Um, I thought that he showed out very well at the end of the year that that last year. I think he kind of, you know, in keeper leagues and stuff like that, he quickly moved his way up um, into almost being a keeper for some teams with as good as he looked down the stretch and how well he played. You're looking at right now your wide receiver room is Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Justin Watson, who's another guy that I'm fairly high on, and Bobo Wilson. Uh, because Deshaun Jackson, uh, he, he's likely going to be gone. I remember... I, I can't remember exactly how much his cap hit is, but it's a ridiculous amount. With as poor as he played last year, the chances are they're not keeping him. So I'd imagine he's pretty much gone. Obviously, Chris Godwin looked really good, um, and he's someone that's going to be interesting to me. Before we move on to – no, I'm actually going to save that for the Dynasty Risers and Fallers because that's uh, he's going to be one of my fallers. Um, who are your – well, I already know who your faller is likely going to be. Who's your Dynasty Riser on this team? Well, before I get to that I- – you know who would be a really, really interesting fit at running back for Tampa? Who's that? It's the one and only dad bod himself, C.J. Anderson. <laughs> that would be. I would be. I, see, my, my question with C.J. Anderson would be, again, just that $7.5 million, would you be able to get him in there for now? What the one thing would be again is if they let Deshaun Jackson go because I think his his cap hit is um I want to say it's like ten million now they wouldn't obviously be able to get out from underneath that but they, I think the dead money would be like seven or eight million I'll have to look it up really quick um, but that's something that uh, that he actually would be a very interesting fit there I do think that he could be someone who could get you those those tough yards obviously um, and then. You know, really kind of, I wouldn't say take the job away He's from He's a decent Jones, pass catcher. He's yeah. a good pass blocker. Um, you know, for him, it's going to come down. So if he goes there, what it'll come down to is the same thing that's plagued him every time he's been the man, is can he stay healthy for 16 games? Right. So they definitely need to bring somebody in with him and Jones. So if they, if they go defensive line, uh, defensive back in the first round, somewhere there, you know, there's depth in, at running back that they could bring in a nice rookie running back in the second, third, fourth round, mm-hmm. maybe even two, and, and really flesh out that running back position and get some dynamic uh, playmakers in there. All right, so, yeah, so, looking at his— Anyways, back to my risers and fallers. Well, real quick, before you get to those, um, I just wanted to say I was looking up to Sean Jackson's. It is $10 million regardless if they cut him. or Actually, it looks like from this list right here, there is no dead cap room. So, or no dead cap, meaning if they cut him before whatever the time that his uh, the salary kicks in, I don't know, there's always a certain time. I can't remember the exact date, uh, but we'll get that to you at a later time. So I don't want to waste everybody's time spending 15 minutes looking for it. Um, but if they let him go, if they cut him, there is no... There's zero to the cap, so that actually would boost them up to 17 mil in cap room because they would get that 10 mil back from Deshaun Jackson if they let him go at a certain amount of time. Now, your dynasty risers. With with Tampa, you know, it, for me, it's going to probably be uh, O.J. Howard. I think that he needs to stay healthy. Uh, the downside of that is that Arians historically doesn't use his tight end a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other side of that coin is... Arians has never had a tight end as good as O.J. Howard. Yeah, I'm a big Mike Evans fan. I think he's going to continue to be the number one there. Uh, if they bring Humphreys back, he's going to be good in the slot. Chris Godwin uh, is the heir to Mike Evans. And so if they line up those three wide receivers, uh, 
with Godwin and Evans on the outside, uh, they're going to be able to move the ball downfield. Uh, and Winston has the arm to do that. So uh, I think in doing so, though, it's going to open up a lot of space underneath. Yeah. And O.J. Howard has the hands and the athletic ability to get in that space and make some stuff happen. Yeah, so my Dynasty Riser is, I've got two, and a lot of it's going to, both of them are going to be predicated on certain things happening. My first one is going to be Ronald Jones, based on them not, even if they bring somebody else in, if they don't, you know, go out and pay somebody huge or draft somebody in the first or second round, I think Ronald Jones is going to be the guy. Now, he's obviously... It can't get worse, right? That's true. He cannot get worse. Um, And that's what my point was going to be, is that I don't, obviously he's not going to be what I had thought and hoped he would be in a you know top 15 back but I still think that he can produce he's got speed um he's a decent runner he needs to obviously work on the receiving part of his game which is why I think they could bring in a guy like Mike Weber um who could really help out in that part of the game really good at the receiving part of the game could be someone to pair with Ronald Jones to make that a a legitimate duo in the backfield and then Adam Humphreys at the slot wide receiver position this is going to be predicated on who's actually calling the plays If it's Bruce Arians, the one thing I've noticed throughout the many years Bruce Arians has been a play caller is that the slot wide receiver is his best friend in the offense. I think that the number one, the guy on the outside, they get their shots every once in a while, but they're really not the mainstay in the offense, and neither is the tight end. He's struggled to produce a very a, a, a predominant wide receiver and tight end when he's been a play caller. And I think that's actually going to, I'll just lead right into my dynasty followers. I think it's going to be O.J. Howard and Mike Evans because I think Mike Evans and O.J. Howard are kind of the results. Uh, they'll, they'll suffer the results of the Bruce Arians offense. Uh, he's always had uh, an affinity, it seems like, for the slot wide receiver. He's always made them very good. You go back to his time in Indy and you go obviously into now Arizona. You may say it's because it was Larry Fitzgerald and he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, but he's just always been very good at making the slot wide receiver very good. I think that's going to be very good for Adam Humphreys moving forward. And I think that's going to hurt Mike Evans some and O.J. Howard. Now that could change. Again, we talked about if Byron left, which is the one running the offense, chances are he's not going to do uh, what Bruce Arians usually does. So that could make Mike Evans and O.J. Howard the next best thing. Um, like, like I said, it's all going to be predicated on who's calling the offense. Who's your dynasty faller on this team um, going into next year? You know, they're... I feel like they're all pretty well set and established in their roles. And so if somebody is going to fall, it's going to be everybody falling. I don't think Ronald Jones is going to do much. I, I, I just don't think he's very good. I think whoever they bring in there, whether it's a rookie or whether it's a veteran, uh, they could bring Frank Gore in and Jones isn't going to beat him out. Uh, So I, I, I don't know that he can fall much further. Uh, Jackson, you know, he's fallen because he's probably going to be released for salary cap reasons, but he wants out of there anyway. So is, is he really falling or is he getting what he wants? Um, the Tampa's running backs struggled last year and, and they're going to have to make some changes there. Uh, the wide receivers, tight ends, you know, I I think Cameron Braid is going to suffer because I think at this point, uh, OJ Howard is, is a superior talent. Um, and Arians barely uses one tight end, let alone two. So if I had to pick somebody, I guess, that's going to actually get the short end of the stick here, it's going to be Cameron Bray. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, actually. Uh, real quick, not that you uh, 
knew I was going to say that. I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because I forgot about it. I actually think Cameron Brate's going to get traded this offseason. I think it's going to go to a team that really needs an offensive tight end um, uh, playmaker. I think he's going to get traded to free up some more of that cap money they just paid him, and he's going to go and be uh, extremely – I think he's going to end up being a top six, seven, eight tight end next season because I think he's going to get traded. But that's just a little thing I think that might happen this offseason for them. So as we did last week uh, on Thursday, just real quick, um, your thoughts on how you think this division shakes out next year. Just early predictions. Again, uh, I'll throw in the caveat. We we have the opportunity to change this again at the end of the year. I just kind of wanted to get our thoughts on it now, and then we'll revisit these um, once we get through the preseason and how we think that these teams will shake out if we still have the same feelings now compared to then. How you think this division shakes out uh, next year? Well, I still see New Orleans winning the division. I, I think they're the best team in the division. Um I don't think they're going to walk away with it like they did. You know, they were 13 and three versus seven and nine for the second place team. Mm-hmm. I could see two teams in this division making uh, the playoffs. Uh, Tampa Bay is not going to be one of them. Uh-huh. I think Tampa is going to, they're, they're, they're going to struggle some, but I do think that they're going to show some improvement in facets of the game. But they have a lot they need to improve on, and they don't have a lot of cap space. So where other teams uh, may be able to bring in an A-level free agent, they're going to be bringing in B-level and C-level free agents to fill those holes. Uh, where somebody, another team might be able to keep a veteran that's playing well at $5 million a year, they're going to be letting that veteran go because they need to make cap space. So Tampa Bay is still going to be at the bottom. Uh, then it comes down to Carolina and Atlanta. Um, I think if if Carolina doesn't make the playoffs, I think Ron Rivera gets fired. Yeah. Uh, even if if they go ten and six and don't make the playoffs, I think Ron Rivera still gets fired. Um, but it's so that that means they have a lot to play for. They have a challenge in front of them with a quarterback with questionable health even though everybody's putting on a, a brave face you, you just don't you won't know for sure until week one when he gets out there because like i said i don't think we're going to see cam newton in preseason yeah i agree uh, so week one when he gets out there is, is when we're gonna find out how healthy is he really uh, so that being said uh, i'm gonna put my at this point in the year february 11th uh, i'm gonna put uh Atlanta at number two and the Panthers at number three. And that's exactly how my stand is going to shake out. Um, I've got the Saints still winning again. They, they already have superior roster to everybody else in the division. In my opinion, don't have many needs and they have the cap space and a decent amount of picks to make uh, or to, to get bring in players that they need at the positions uh, that they're lacking. I think the Falcons are going to go and take that number two spot just because they have so much cap space, I think that they're able to, they don't have much like New Orleans where they, they don't have many needs. I think they're going to be able to attack them. Um, really looking at Falcons too, they were suffered a lot of key injuries on the defensive side early in the season. I think if they can keep those guys healthy, obviously that's going to help improve their defensive sum. Uh, and the only thing that really worries me about Atlanta is their running back situation. I just don't know what he's going to be and what he's going to do going forward, uh, but that's not, that's not anything that's going to keep you from making the playoffs in my decision or in my opinion um that's why i have the panthers third is because their biggest question is their quarterback and that is what's going to limit you or take you as far as you can go i agree with you i think a lot of people are kind of putting on brave faces right now but really just don't know what cam is going to be going forward so i have to throw them at three 
Um, right now, though, I could see them possibly winning this division if Cam is as healthy as they say. And Tampa Bay, even though I love the moves that they made coaching-wise and bringing in Bruce Arians, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's a very good coach. I just think this franchise right now has too much to do uh, for them to be a contender this year, but they have enough interesting pieces um, that I think they could be an interesting team moving forward. But right now, they are firmly in fourth place for me as well. So guys, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, you know, real quick, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Uh, it always helps us out, um, and it'll obviously enter you guys in for a chance to get some free swag from 500level.com. And uh, before before we get out of here, anything you want to add, Dennis? Well, you can find me at uh, on Twitter, culture underscore coach. Uh, I put out a whole bunch of stuff linked to everything, and I'm a retweeting son of a gun. <laughs> Please follow the fantasy football uh podcast twitter handle at roundtable ff you can find us there we just started that and we only have uh, about 25 or 30 followers so any followers we can get there would be great and also you can check my writing out at dynastynerds.com thanks for having me on and i look forward to seeing you on thursday yeah me too buddy i can't wait to talk about that nc east and yeah exactly like dennis was saying i mean i've got a I've gotten up to about 500 followers now. I know Dennis is, is rocking about 12, 1,300, I think, last time we talked. Uh, so if you guys are following us, you should be following the Roundtable podcast because I know you guys are listening to this with the downloads that we're getting. Uh, so please follow that because that'll that'll be one of the main things that tweets out all of the stuff coming on with this in the Pulse Podcast Network. And then obviously check out Dennis's writings on uh, the Dynasty Nerds. Not just, I mean, he does awesome stuff with them. That whole crew does awesome stuff, I know. Dennis has done a really good job attacking those uh, the coaching hire and changes writings up here recently, so definitely check that out as well. And I, I appreciate having you on, buddy, and I look forward to talking to you on Thursday. Have a great day. Right on. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Only tackle in the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can.